Go to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 4. You can keep your eyes open as you get there. Let me pray over us as you do your work. All right, God, thank you. It's good to be together today to lift high the name of Jesus, your Son, and our Savior. And God, we praise you today that you are stronger. We need to be reminded of that today. God, some of us feel very weak and in weak and vulnerable places, God. So we turn our eyes to you. We look to the heavens to where our help comes from. You, God, the maker of heaven and earth. You're the only one, God, that we turn to. And we do that now through your word. And we pray your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to our hearts and accomplish your plans in this place and in us today for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. We're walking line by line through the book of Matthew, a sermon series that we're calling Different. And Matthew is going to great lengths to show us how different Jesus is from every other person, every other man, every other rabbi, every other person who ever claimed to, the, to be the Messiah. There is none like Jesus. And he's underscored that in Matthew 1 and 2 and 3 that Jesus came from a different family and, and Jesus had a different kind of birth and Jesus was a different kind of baby. And last week we looked at the fact that Jesus had a different kind of preparation. Today we're going to continue as we move into chapter 4, looking at the preparation of Jesus. But in chapter 4, this is one of those few places where the difference between Jesus and me or Jesus and you kind of breaks down. Because Jesus is in a predicament in Matthew chapter 4 that is not different from the very same kind of predicaments that you and me find ourselves in so often. The predicament is this in Matthew chapter 4. He's facing temptation. He's facing temptation just like us. Write this down. First of all, Jesus' temptations were not different from ours. Over and over again, Matthew's pointing out how different Jesus is, how different Jesus is. Suddenly we slam on the brakes, and this isn't different from us. His temptations, Jesus' temptations were not different from ours. Let's dive in. Chapter 1, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. First thing I want you to see here is that Jesus was totally human like we are. Totally human like we are. He is fully God. He is fully man. One of the divine mysteries that we really can't get our mind around. But I want you to see here, he's in the wilderness in his full humanity. And Matthew reminds us of that right out of the gate when at the end of verse 2 in Matthew chapter 4, he says, Jesus was hungry. It's like Matthew puts the spotlight on the humanity of Jesus to warn us, hey, listen, folks, as he's facing his temptations, he's going to be doing that just like you do and just like I do. He's being tempted in every way like we are. He's human like us. He knew what hunger was. He knew what pain was. He knew what fatigue was. He knew what loneliness was. And Jesus is facing this temptation as a man with the fullness of his humanity. And by the way, if you don't know this already, uh, you must be like four years old and hadn't figured this out yet, but Satan doesn't play fair. He will weaken you. He will discourage you. He will isolate you so that then he can pounce on you. And this is his M.O. here with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was tempted just like we are. He was totally human like we are. Write this down. And he used the very same tools to fight against this temptation that you and I have. He used the very same tools 
that we have to fight this temptation. I remember summer of 1998, I had just finished eighth grade. Me and my buddies, we were so excited because SummerSlam was about to go down. The tag team of Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage in the tag team match of all tag team matches against Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Anybody remember SummerSlam 1988? It was on like a chicken ball, man. And I don't know if you've ever watched tag team wrestling. I know some of you are too sophisticated for all that. Well, what happens typically in a tag team match is somebody is getting the stuffings kicked out of him, right? I mean, you know how it is. They're getting the stuffings kicked out of them. And then it looks like the match is about to be over. They're on the fly of their back. They got them in the pin move. The leg's coming up. The referee's won. You know how they do, right? Dude. And then about that time, it's like the dude on the mat turns into Go-Go Gadget, and the Go-Go Gadget arm reaches way over there, and the other guy on the other side of the road reaches way in there, and they tag each other, and the other guy comes jumping in, and boom, 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 right? The, the new guy, the fresh guy to the rescue. That's how it goes in the WWF, how it went in the WWF back in the day. That's not how it went for Jesus in the wilderness. He's in the ring with Satan, and not once... Does he reach out to tag his godness? He's in the ring with Satan and he takes him on in his total humanity. And he's engaging him and fighting him with the very same tools that you and I have to engage the enemy when we find ourselves being tempted as well. The three tools, what are they? Prayer, fasting, and the word of God. Prayer, fasting, and the word of God. Now, you may have noticed there it talked about Jesus fasting. It didn't say anything about him praying. But biblical fasting is always married to praying. You can't separate the two. Some of you may be on a new health kick where you're doing intermittent fasting or something. That's great. I'm glad you're taking care of your health. But that's not necessarily a spiritual venture, right? Biblical fasting is prayer and fasting married together. Jesus, we see him doing that. He's praying and fasting. And by the way, I want you to notice he had already been praying and fasting before Satan came to him. And that's an important thing to take note of. It's a reminder, listen, that the daily consistency of seeking after God in prayer and in his word is of the utmost importance. Now, we've all been in that place where we've, you know, been reading our Bible, we've been praying, we've been studying the Bible, we've had our routine going, and, and you can begin to think, I don't really know how this is helping me. I really don't know that this is strengthening me any, but it does. When the day the enemy shows up to tempt you, you will be ready because you've been preparing for that moment a long time before it ever got there. And we're going to talk more about prayer and fasting as we get further into the book of Matthew in the weeks to come. But I want you to see there's a third tool that Jesus is using here, not just prayer and fasting, but he's using the Word of God. And we have all three of those tools available to us. Jesus is facing temptation just like us in his full humanity and with the same tools that we have, prayer and fasting and the Word of God. Three times Jesus is going to be tempted by Satan, and three times Jesus does exactly the same thing. Having already been prepared for 40 days for this moment through meeting with the Lord in prayer and fasting, all three times the temptation comes, Jesus takes out the Word of God, and he hits Satan with it. All three times. He leads off with, it is written, it is written, it is written. In other words, this is his way of saying, zip it, devil, God has said. And God has the last word. God always has the last word. 
So what have we said? Jesus was tempted just like we are. He was totally human like we are. He had the same tools to fight that we have. Now I want to show you this verse in Hebrews chapter 4. And for a long time, most of my life, Randall, this verse kind of confused me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted. He's speaking of Jesus, our high priest. He's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And, And you know, you read that and go, okay, was Jesus really tempted in every way that we are? Because I don't think Jesus was ever tempted to pull out his phone, right, and gamble without, you know, telling his wife, hey, I'm doing this, or, or to look at pornography on his phone. I don't think Jesus was ever tempted to do crazy stuff with his phone. So why does the Bible say he was tempted every like we are? I don't think Jesus was ever tempted to do meth, right? So how, why does it say that he was tempted in every way that we are? Well, let me tell you this. He was tempted in every way that we are. The temptations that come to us, they wear disguises. They have a different suit of clothes on, depending who you are, where you live, the time that you live your life. But, but if you strip away the clothing they're dressed in, if you slip, strip away the disguises of our temptations, they're really all the same. It's the very same temptations every single time. At the core of the temptations, they're always the same. This is why, look at this, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. In other words, Amanda, you've not been tempted by anything that your great-grandmama wasn't tempted by. And you're not being tempted by anything your great-great-grandchildren won't be tempted by. We're all being tempted through the scope of humanity with the very same things constantly. Satan's just got this on repeat, and it's the same temptations all the time. They just dress different. They just wear different disguises. It's important that we see that because some of us have been fixated on, this is the temptation I'm always struggling with, and and we're focused on, i got to win this temptation eventually, and that becomes our life goal to beat that one. But we're fighting a suit of clothes. Right? You see how the enemy's operating? That's not the real battle. That's not the real fight. And we're being duped into that to believe that. We've got to look beyond our current temptation and how it's presenting itself, how it's manifesting itself, so that we can see what the real temptation really is. Some of you are ridden with guilt and shame because you've never conquered, you've never overcome that temptation, but you've been fighting the wrong thing. You've been fighting the suit of clothes, how it's coming at you, the way it manifests, the way it presents. So with the time that we have left, and I'm going to warn you, I have 25 pounds of potatoes in this sermon, and we got a 20-pound bag. So we're going in, so I hope you're ready for this today, all right? But, but here's what I want to do with the time that we have left. I want, to, I want to try, with God's help, to strip away all of the disguises that the temptations come at us with so that we can see clearly, no, no, here's what it always is. Because then if we can clearly see what it always is, then we can better know how to stand against it, right? We can better know how to position ourselves in the Lord to move forward in victory. So before we begin to strip away all that, I want to remind you where Jesus is here. And this is important. This is crucial. 
There's, there's no coincidence that Matthew butts Matthew 3 up to Matthew 4 like he does. So Matthew 3, the end of that, picking up at the end of verse 16, if you were here last week, we looked at this. The Bible says the heavens suddenly open. Where's Jesus? He's in the water, right? John the Baptist is raising him up out of his baptism. And the Bible says the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In that moment, God made this epic pronouncement about his son, about Jesus. That's my boy, and I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. And listen, if you're here today and you know Jesus is your Savior, you've been born again. You've been saved. You've turned in repentance and faith. You've claimed him as Savior and Lord. Then the very same thing that God said about Jesus, God can also say of you. You are my child. And I love you. And I'm well pleased with you. You see, at the moment of your salvation, your identity is no longer predicated on anything that you've done. Your identity is never more in Christ built upon anything you could do. Your identity now is grounded in Jesus and what he's done and what he's accomplished on your behalf and on my behalf. So God is declaring over his people today. Now, if you're not his people, if you're still here today, you're separated from God by your sin. You've never trusted Christ to save you. You're in the right place. There's so many people putting me at the front of the line. I would love to have the honor of introducing you to Jesus today. But if you already know Jesus today, God is speaking over you. He's declaring over you because of his son, Jesus, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child, and I love you, and I am well pleased with you. Now watch. I want you to see this. I want you to see how fast we go from that declaration declaration to temptation. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is here. This is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased. Then, verse 1, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. His hair's still wet. Just that fast. And he's into the wilderness. And I don't want you to miss this. This is important. The Spirit led him there. God led him to the wilderness. Let's be clear. Satan will do the work of tempting. God doesn't tempt people to sin. Ever. James is clear about that. God does not tempt. But what God will do is God will test his people. Right? God will allow his people or place his people in trials. But the difference is when God puts his people in testings or in trials, he's doing that for good reasons, for positive reasons, for good outcomes. Specifically, that God would be glorified in that, that we would be strengthened, that we, it would be ultimately for our good in that. But when Satan comes with his temptations, there's not good motivations for that. Satan doesn't come at us for anything but negative reasons. The Bible says he's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and destroy. So temptations and trials, so often we experience them at the very same time. But the trials are from the hand of God. The temptations are from Satan himself for completely different reasons. So let's look at this, verse 2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and said, if, if, that's, that's key, here, here comes the planting of the doubt. Here's how temptation starts. It starts with that word, if. Well, if you are the Son of God. And I know he just said you were. We know we just heard that. 
But if you are the Son of God, then tell all these stones to become bread. Listen, this is deeper than bread. This is deeper than being hungry. You would think he's being tempted with bread. No, that's not the temptation. That's how it's disguised. That's the suit of clothes it's wearing. Just like your temptations you face. They're not what you think they are. It's not about that. It's something deeper than that. This isn't about bread and hunger. Let me show you. Temptation number one we all face. It's common to all of us. The temptation to believe I'm not cared for. I'm not cared for. So I have to provide for myself. I have to take matters in my own hand because God doesn't care for me. Notice how the temptation began. If you are the son of God, God had just clearly said, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased. But here comes Satan to plant that doubt. Really? You really think that, Jesus? Because look at you. You're down 50 pounds and you didn't have 50 pounds to give. And you finished it. You've done everything right. You finished the fast. You've been seeking the Lord. And he didn't meet you at the end of that? He's not sitting here with a Big Mac? You really still think he cares about you? Because if he cared about you, he'd have been sitting here with your lunchbox and your thermos saying, out of boy, so proud. Where is he? He doesn't really care about you. You, you have needs, you have wants, and your heavenly Father that loves you, that's well pleased with you, isn't meeting your needs. He's not meeting your wants. And you still want to think and believe? He cares for you? He didn't care for you. That whisper may sound familiar to you because that's the whisper we hear behind the disguise. If you lean in far enough, Beyond the disguise, beyond the suit of clothes that your temptation is presenting as, that's what's being whispered. You think God really cares about you? Because, man, you've you got some heavy stuff going on. Where is he? And you prayed for that, and he hasn't said nothing, and he hasn't done anything, and you really think he cares? I bet that sounds familiar to some of you. It does to me. And the doubt comes in, right? That's true. Where, God, where are you after all? Where are you? Why, are, why aren't you intervening? Why, why is this kind of continuing to go on like it is? Don't, don't you really care? Listen, it's the same tactic that Satan used back in the garden with Adam and Eve, right, by the way? It, it was planting that doubt. Did, did God really say that? And hey, hey, you know what? Look at this fruit on this tree in the middle. If God really cared about you, he'd let you have that because that's really good. Really good. You know what? He doesn't care about you. He's holding, he's holding back. He's withholding from you. Can't you see, Adam, Eve? He doesn't care for you like he wants you to believe that he cares for you. So you need to provide for yourself. He's not going to do it. He does not care. So just take it, right? Same thing. The children of Israel, as they came out of slavery, they're wandering through the wilderness. And they got hungry. They got thirsty. And you know what they started saying? Pharaoh cared more about us than God. At least he fed us. At least we had water. What were they doing? They were buying the same temptation. They were tempted with the same thing you're tempted with, to believe in an instant, God really doesn't care about me. And they were willing to go back into enslavement because they were so deeply buying the lie that they had a God that didn't care. And that's how you get enslaved to things in life, by the way. You buy the lie. God doesn't really care. 
about me. And that's Satan's go-to move, by the way, to cause the sons and daughters of God to doubt the care of God for us, his people. It's the very same temptation that Jesus faced. Come on, Jesus. He wouldn't let his own son sit here and suffer. And be hungry like this, down to skin and bones. If he really cared about you, he'd be here. He's not here. I'm here. He's not here. You've done all the right things, but there's no payoff. Some of you have thought that too. Come on, God, I did all the right things. You still didn't come through. You still didn't answer the prayer. You still didn't do what I wanted you to do. No payoff. He's just, come on, Jesus, maybe he's just using you. And this is what's so important to see here. This temptation has nothing to do with bread. Has nothing to do with hunger. It's way past that. And the temptations that you have thought are temptations, that's not your temptation. Look beyond the disguise at what the true temptation is. The temptation in the garden really wasn't about fruit on a tree, was it? No. It was to not believe God. The temptation was to believe a lie about God, that God is not who he says he is. God does not care about us. And the temptations you're facing, they're not about what you've been thinking your whole life they're about. Some of you, right now, if you're like me, your mind may be blowing right now like, my whole life the guilt and shame monster has been on me because this has been my struggle And I battle it, and I come to the altar, and man, I got an accountability partner one time, and I went to CR with Roger one night, and I did all, I did everything I knew to do, and God's never released me from that. It's because you're fighting a disguise. This morning, God, through his word, is going to let us see beyond the curtain, behind the curtain, to what's really, really going on here. The temptation was and is to believe that God doesn't care about you. The real temptation is to believe because God doesn't care about me. I've got to provide for myself. I've got to take matters into my own hands because God doesn't truly care. Or God doesn't understand my needs. Or God doesn't have enough ability or power to meet my needs. But, but somehow I'm believing there's a deficiency with God. So I'm taking matters into my own hands. I won't these things in my life, and they're not all bad things. Some of these things are really good, but God's not coming through with this. I want children. I want a marriage. I want these things, and I deserve a promotion. I, and I, these are good things I want, and he doesn't care. And so I got to scrap, and I got a claw to try to take hold of those things for myself because God is neglecting me. And that's precisely the very temptation some of you are facing today, except yours is dressed up like you're being tempted to have an extramarital affair. Because you're buying the lie that God doesn't really care about you. Or you're being tempted to cheat on your taxes here in a minute. Because you believe God doesn't care enough about you that you can walk in integrity and he'll provide for your needs. Some of you are being tempted to turn back to old coping mechanisms. Because you're buying the lie that God doesn't care enough about you to meet you at your need and bring you from that. At its core, all of that comes down to the same temptation, the same temptation Jesus faced. That God doesn't care about me, so i got to provide for myself. 
But remember, Jesus faced that in his full humanity. And he faced that with the same tools that you and I have to face that with. So what did he do? He turned to the word. And he came out swinging. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Listen, when your wants and needs are just plastered on the windshield of your life and they are way too big for you to miss, and it gets really tempting to begin to believe the lies that God doesn't care about this stuff, God doesn't care about me, here's where you go. You go to the word. You go to hear what God has said. Let me give you a few things God has said. These are some punches I throw pretty often. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus speaking, and he said, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That's the truth. God cares. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, Jesus says, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Why does he say that? Because he cares. Despite what Satan says, Jesus cares. Here's one, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to back up to verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We're all getting hit. That's what Peter just said. And we're all getting hit with the same stuff. This is where the judginess kind of begins to crumble. Because I realize Lane's mess is just dressed up a different way than my mess. But behind the disguise and the suit of clothes, man, we got the same thing going on. It's the same temptations we're struggling with. That's what he just said. All of your brothers and sisters are dealing with this. So what have we said? Temptation number one. The temptation to believe I'm not cared for. So i got to provide for myself. Temptation number two. The temptation to believe I'm not loved. So I got to prove myself. Or, or I got to protect myself. Either one, both. Because I don't feel loved. I, I've got to prove myself. I've got to protect myself. So here's the devil comes back at Jesus a second time and he goes, Okay, so you want to have a Bible study? You're going to use the Bible? Okay, cool. I will too. And the devil goes really religious on Jesus here. He even takes him to church. Takes him to church and opens up the Bible. Verse five The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if, there's that word again, doubt creeps. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Because it is written. And the devil opens up the Bible. And he says, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Here's what Satan's saying to Jesus. Jesus, look, you know what's coming. We all know what's coming. It's going to get bad. You're going to suffer, and you're going to die. Why? Well, I'm wondering if God really loves you. I mean, if you are his son, whom he's well pleased, and this is what you got to go through, so that at the end of that, he can raise you from the dead and go, ta-da, see, this is my boy. I love him. I'm well pleased. What a sick, twisted plan that sounds like, Jesus. I'm thinking he doesn't really love you. How about this? 
If it's all, if the end goal is to go, ta-da, see, son of God. If that's the end goal, tell you what, let's do this. Take a swan dive off the top of this temple. And he will dispatch angels to come out of heaven. They'll swoop down. They'll catch you. And then the whole world will know who you are. No need for the cross. No need for a resurrection. Just jump. Just jump. Because you're not loved anyway. That's familiar. Just do it. Because he doesn't really love you anyway. Maybe nobody loves you anyway. Just do it. Just say yes. Just jump. Jesus had come here to serve others, but now the temptation is serve yourself. And that's our temptation. God doesn't really love you. So prove yourself. Protect yourself. Just circle the wagons and serve yourself. This temptation is about self-protection. This temptation is about self-validation. It's about using everything God has given us on ourselves. Satan wants you to believe if you're ever in a moment that feels weak or you feel vulnerable or you feel small, a loving God wouldn't do that. He said you're his child. He loves you. He's well pleased. But you feel small. You feel vulnerable right now. You feel victimized right now. You want to still cling to this idea that God loves you? Where is he in that? He wants us to believe that God doesn't love us, so it's up to us. Prove yourself. Protect yourself. Show the world who you are. You're not weak. You're not vulnerable. There's no reason you should be obscure or minimized. You're strong and powerful, and you're the captain of your own destiny. Come on. And so we beat our chest, right? And we bow up and we puff up to show the world who we really are, protect ourselves, prove ourselves, and what a wretched enslavement that is. What a horrible way to live our lives. To always be protecting the narratives about us. To always be worried about people's perceptions of us. We want everybody to watch us jump off the pinnacles and go, wow, look at that person. What a life they have. How amazing they are. We want to prove ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from being unimportant and obscure and jump off the pinnacles. Satan wants you to believe that you have to pursue Love, you have to pursue approval from everywhere in the world because God doesn't approve of you and God doesn't love you. And that temptation, by the way, is in part part of the reason why social media is so addictive. Because every single day, people jump off pinnacle after pinnacle after pinnacle to have people go, like, follow, heart. Oh, that person's amazing. That person's great. And it validates this and it's self-protection and it's self-proving out of a heart that says, I have to do these things because I really don't believe I'm loved by God. 
And then if one person doesn't like, if one person, does, some of y'all are like that, you hover over your social media, and if that person never gives you approval, it wrecks your day. That's not how Jesus lived his life. That unending need to search for approval and protecting yourself and proving yourself, that, that's enslavement and it's exhausting. Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus lived out of the truth of what his father had said. This is who you are. This is how I feel about you. You're my son. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Did, did Jesus experience weakness? Yeah. Did Jesus experience obscurity? Being minimized? Yes. Did Jesus experience criticism? Constantly. But none of that defined him. Jesus lived in the reality of being defined only by what God had said of him. And what an amazing way to live. What a beautiful and liberating and freeing way to live. Jesus never once felt the need to jump, to prove himself, to protect himself from feeling unimportant or obscure. Listen, if you've been born again, God has said of you, you're my child. And I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. Listen, don't you just want to rest in that today? Don't you just want to pull that around you like a warm blanket and just know it's okay? Nobody else defines me. Nothing defines me. Only what defines me is what the Father has said of me. And what he says of me is based on what Christ has done for me. In him now, I am a child of God, and he loves me, and he is well pleased with me. No more striving to prove myself because I'm not loved. No more striving to protect myself because I'm not loved. No more jumping off pinnacles to get people's approval like a bunch of trained seals. <laughs> How did Jesus respond to that temptation? He, same way with Scripture, verse 7. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Here's what Jesus just said. I'm not going to test my father on this. I'm not going to push him on this. I'm not going to force his hand on this. Would he save me? Yeah, he'd save me. But I'm going to wait patiently for the Lord. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to be still. When he says move, I'll move. When he says jump, I'll jump. But I only jump when he says jump. When he says it, I'll do that. I'm not jumping to protect myself or to prove myself. I'm going to be still, and I'm going to wait on the Lord. And you may be facing that same temptation today to believe God doesn't love me. And so I've got to circle the wagons and protect. Or I've got to jump off the pinnacle and prove who I am. What do you do? You've got to say the same thing. No, no, no. I'm going to be still. And I'm going to know that he's God. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. I'm going to believe that God loves me and I don't have to make a single move here today to protect me or to prove me to somebody else or my worth to somebody else. I'm going to just be still and know that he's God. That's one of my go-tos. I love Psalm 40, 16. Just be still and know that he's God. See, when we're tempted, and this is where we've been battling, y'all. We've been missing it. Well, I gotta try harder. Gotta get, have some tips. Gotta read a book on how to overcome this thing. 
No, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. It's not about getting the behavior right. It's about getting what you believe right. But when your belief in God that cares about you and God that loves you is wavering, and we fall victim to that temptation the way it's dressed up and disguised, that brings us to temptation number three that we all face. The temptation to believe that there's a better way than God's way. The temptation to believe there's a better way than God's way. And so I'm just going to go on please myself, take my own path, find that place of happiness on my own. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. Now, there's no physical mountain that you can go up to the top of today and see all the kingdoms of the earth. What we think probably happened here is Satan, some type of supernatural ability, showed Jesus a vision. Here's all the kingdoms. Some speculate this wasn't just the current kingdoms in 30 AD, but past, present, and future. Here's Satan, the God of the age, saying, Jesus, listen, all this is mine, and I'll give it to you. I'll step back today. I'll concede to you. I'll surrender to you today, and I'll hand it all over to you today, because I know ultimately that's where we're headed Your father has promised he's going to give you all this, but at what cost? You know the cost. For you to have all this, you got to pay. You got to pay for it. Not him. He's going to sit on his throne in heaven. That's his plan, Jesus. Here's a better plan. I will concede it now. I'll back up. I'll surrender it to you now. I'll give it to you now. All you got to do is get on your knees and call me daddy. And we can skip that plan your father has. And we can jump to the end. You're the king of the earth. You'll have it today. All you got to do is get on your knees and worship me as God. Here's what Satan's doing. He's offering Jesus an inheritance. Your father said he'll give it to you, but I'll give it to you now. I'm, I'm a better daddy. I care about you more. I love, I'm here, and I love you more, and I got a better plan than he's got. Satan's asking Jesus to renounce God as his father. To say to your father, I want my stuff now. Jesus, just say to your father, I want my inheritance now. Does that sound familiar? If you know your Bible, Jesus is going to retell that story later on. The son's going to come to his father and he's going to say, I don't want to follow the plan. In fact, I don't even want you. I want my inheritance now, not later. Jesus will tell that story. And that's the temptation. To desire what God will give us, but not to desire God. If I said to you today, let's total up, let's tally up, let's list up all your wants and needs And God says today, I'll give you all of that, but I'm going to give you all of that right now today, but it comes without me. It comes without God. How tempted would you be to say, well, okay, let's go. I'll take it. This is what Satan's coming at Jesus with. Would you say to God, God, I would rather have you than anything. God, I would rather have you than everything. 
I can go on through this life, God, without, and you fill in the blank, as long as I have you. Because that's more than enough. Can we say that? Can we say that today? Satan's offering it all to Jesus. You can have it all right now, but you can't have God too. Here's a better plan for you, Jesus. Let's just cut to the chase. God's plan is not a good plan. Let's just make our own plan and cut to the chase and please ourselves. Sound familiar? There's got to be a better plan. I'll go with my plan. That's what I'll do. And here's what Jesus said, verse 10. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. Jesus, our Savior and our example, fully man, armed with only the very same tools that are available to us, takes Satan on in three rounds and he won. He did not fail us. So he could go to the cross as the perfect sinless son of God to be the substitute for your sin and my sin so that we might be reconciled to God, that God would raise him from the dead, that we might be purchased and bought and redeemed. So now, by grace through faith today, the heavenly Father looks at us, the sons and daughters of God, and he says, yeah, I know what you did last night, but you're my son, and I love you, and I'm well pleased. But God, I did this. Yeah, but I don't define you by what you did now. I define you by what Jesus did. And Jesus went the distance. And he never failed. He never sinned. No flaw. No spot. Perfectly righteous. And through what he did at the cross, I took that righteousness and I set it on you. And you're my child. I know what you did, but you're mine now. And I love you. And I am well pleased with you. Jesus stepped into our wilderness where Adam had failed us and he did not fail. And he stepped into our wilderness where the Israelites stumbled in the wilderness and Jesus did not stumble. And he stepped into the wilderness where so often you and I have stumbled and fallen to all the disguises with which he's presented these temptations to us. But Jesus did not fail. You know why? He's not only our Savior, he's example to us. So you know why he didn't fail? Because he simply believed the word of God. He believed what God had spoken. There's no if, I am his child. There's no if, he does love me. There's no if, he is well pleased with me. He simply believed our Savior and our example. Temptations, guys, they're coming at you a mile a minute. But today, God is pulling back the curtain and going, that's not your issue. That's not your struggle. That's not your thing. It's deeper than that. I brought you something today. If you've been at Grace Life for a while, let's just tie it all together as we start to close this thing up today. I know it's got a glare. Just look at the screen. I think they're going to put it up there. It's glary, I know. I'll try to help. We've looked at this so many times, right? The Bible says we all bear fruit in our life. It may be bad fruit. It may be good fruit. And what we tend to do in church is we go, oh, man, the fruit's bad. Got to fix that. So we set out to change our ways. We set out to modify our behavior. And Jesus says, listen, if the fruit's bad, it's because the root's bad. And here's where we are. It starts with this question, who am I? And here's the three temptations we all face. 
These are the three temptations that are common to man. These are the three temptations that Jesus dealt with in the wilderness. Who am I? I'm not cared for. Who am I? I'm not loved. Who am I? I'm on my own. Well, why do you believe that? Because God has not cared for me, obviously. I believe that because God has not loved me, obviously. I believe that because God has designed a bad plan for me that ain't working. Well, why would God do that? Well, he does that because he's an uncaring God. He does that because he's an unloving God. He does that because he's a cruel God. Is that what you believe today? If you've been believing that, though, it shows in our life, right? By the way we live, the fruit's bad. But the fruit's bad because we can trace it all the way down to the root. We're believing lies. The antidote to that is to repent. You don't repent from doing stuff. You repent from believing stuff. Repentance means to change your mind. I'm going to repent of believing lies. I've been buying what Satan's selling, but I'm going to repent. And in faith, I'm going to believe the truth about who God is. God is caring, and God is loving, and God is not cruel. He is kind and compassionate, and he's a saving God. And he has cared for me, and he does love me, and he has designed a great plan for me. I know this because I look at the cross where Jesus loved me, and he gave himself for me. And if all that's true about God, then what's true about who I am? I'm cared for by Almighty God. I'm loved by Almighty God. And I'm no longer my own. I'm his. I've been bought with a price. And the purposes and the plans he has for me, they are for my good and for his glory. And when we begin to believe that, the behavior begins to line up. And then just like with Jesus, we're drawing nearer to the Lord in truth. We've resisted the devil, and then he flees from us. Hey, he ain't fleeing from you throwing punches at the suit of clothes. He ain't fleeing from you throwing punches at the disguise. Some of us have been shadow boxing our whole life. And today God's throwing back the curtain and going, Dez, this is it. Here's the issue. You're not believing the truth about who you are in Jesus. You're not believing the truth about what God has done. You're not believing the truth about who God is. Miss Sundra, what did Jesus say? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hey, let's stand, church. Let's worship the Lord. God, we bow our hearts before you. Thank you, Jesus, for pulling the curtains back in the wilderness and undressing the enemy so that we can really see and hear what it is that he's up to in our own lives. And Jesus, thank you that the victory that you achieved in that wilderness is available to us. Time with you in prayer and in fasting and in your word. God, I pray today you would give us hearts to believe. Make our faith enlarged in this place today, God. And where the guilt and shame monster has resided on people for so long. And we think, it's this thing that whoops me. It's this thing that whoops me. God, help us today to realize that's not the thing. It's the thing behind the thing. And that's unbelief. And that's doubt. 
So God, make us strong in our faith today. May it come out of our praise. May it come out of our worship. May it come out of our lives. May you set your people free today. In Jesus' name we ask it.